This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Well, hello and welcome to the wine situation. Episode 10 of season 5 the 111th show I have recorded of this little podcast. Is that a lucky 111 that I hear? Is it? Is it? I don't know. Let's hope it is lucky because the situation is right now that literally every day I read that the pandemic's getting worse and worse. Today they informed us that Los Angeles, where I, Al Clifford, am located, is like the epicenter of shit. <laughs> so um, all this is to say that the situation is we are at home we are alone. Are we are cut down? I can't talk today. I don't know why I can't talk. Um, huh, let me hydrate. Thank you for bearing with me. Huh. All of this is to say we are all alone at home, and um, that probably means that if we're having a, an, an alcoholic beverage, that there's a good chance we are having it alone. And I, Ellen Clifford, would like to be here to you know keep you company. I would like to educate you about wine. I would hope to make you laugh a little bit. Uh, I think I'm getting more and more maudlin with each episode during this pandemic so far, just because I'm like, what's happening now? Um, but, you know, I, I want to be here to be your drinking companion. Uh, so I hope that you have something really delicious to drink right now. I, ooh, I'm, this may be a shorter than usual episode. I'm not sure. I have really simple things to talk to you about, but, uh, and I have a really good guest at the end, Michael Brown. Um, but I, this may be a shorty, but it's going to be, it's going to be a goodie. Who am I? I, as I said, am L or Ellen, depending on when and where you meet me. Clifford, like the big red dog. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> and you know, I am like this close to getting my diploma from the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. I'm a certified sommelier with quartermaster sommeliers. I write for Delectable in Venice. I host this podcast, so hopefully I'll have a few tidbits here that you can you can take into your wine journey with you. Because the cool thing about wine is that, you know, the more you know about it, the more fascinating it gets, and the more you get fascinated and learn more, the more you realize you know absolutely nothing. Like if someone put me in a room and were like, make wine, I, I mean, I theoretically know some of this stuff, but... Good God, I would be a mess. Put some shears in my hands and tell me to clip the grapes. I don't, I mean, I, I can tell you about some different, I can tell you about Silvos, I can tell you about double Ginny uh, Curtin, I can tell you about Cordon de Réal or Thai Chablis or just plain old Guillo training systems, but you know, um, could I, <laughs> could I actually clip the vines myself? That would take some study. Uh, that was a tangent already. As I always say, this is a podcast with many a segment and many in a tangent, many a tangent and many a segment. Usually the tangents are supposed to follow segments, but sometimes they, <laughs> sometimes they manifest themselves of their own will. Um, I also will probably talk about goth things here and there and, you know, wine. So, yay, cheers to that. Nope, don't cheers yet. I haven't even taken a sip of this exciting wine that I'm going to taste because um, I'm waiting to cheers with you guys. So, I, wait, I take that back. Go ahead and drink if you want. Just, you know, save some cheers for me. How are you doing? I really love it when people check back in with me and, like, tell me what they're drinking. Um, you know, you can always hit me up with, like, 
advice questions about wine. I pretty much am basically everybody's who knows me is except for, well, increasingly the people in my life are also wine people, but you know, I, I'm here to be everybody's sommelier. <laughs> uh, my mom texted me the other day and was like, what champagne should we buy to make a mimosa? You guys, this is a hot tip. This is a tangent, but it's a good tip. And I said, do not waste real champagne on a mimosa. Like don't, try and cover up that flavor with, with orange juice if it's going to be diluted. Also, champagne tends to have more like yeasty, bready notes. You don't really want, you want a more fruit forward thing and you don't want to spend all your money on champagne, your hard work to earned money on champagne that's going to get diluted. So I was like, buy some Prosecco if you must buy a cava, but don't, anyway. Um, all this is to say is guys, tell me how you're doing. It's the holidays. You're probably listening to this either Christmas day or, you know, shortly before or shortly after, or you've, if this is five years in the future and you've just discovered the podcast and you know, this is the 500th episode you listen to. I don't know guys. Um, that was a tangent. I don't even know where I am anymore. Just tell, tell me how you are whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I, whew, I mean, I'm okay as everybody is these days, right? Cause we're all just like, I don't know what's happening. Um, but I did my best to get ready for this podcast. I took a long and vigorous walk and got some fresh air. I stretched, I washed my feet. I was really feeling like in honor of the absolute goddess. That's a hint who is behind the wine today. I was like, I'm going to wear pearls today. I have this one string of, um, pink Pearls. They call them pink. They're not really pink, but they're kind of, well, they kind of make me think of the wine in terms of their, their color. Um, and I put them on, but then I was like, I'm feeling my goth roots. And so I put on a black velvet choker. It's not really a black velvet choker. It's just like a strip of black velvet that I, um, or I guess it's more velveteen. It's, it's like short velvet, whatever you call that. Um, and I used a bobby pin to hold it together in, in the back. Uh, if you look on my Instagram, you'll probably see a picture of me flaunting my pearls and my goth roots all in one. So what I'm saying is I did everything I could to, you know, try and make myself feel ready and happy to do this podcast, which, ugh, I mean, guys, what a week, like leading up to this podcast, I tell you to check in with me. I'm going to check in with you. I don't always do that, but I'm going to check in with you. Let, this has been like crunch week for work. Getting Everyone's trying to get everything in before the holidays. You know, this is last two weeks of the year, including like, it doesn't sound stressful to have like a million tastings and samples and people trying to email you about wine all day. But let me tell you, my week on, started at 9 a.m. Monday with a, a um, tasting of Spanish wine. Uh, with Sol, which was really cool. Um, we got this whole walk through this tortilla, tortilla this, uh, museum. Why did I say tortilla? Probably because I looked at my fridge and that's where I keep my tortillas. I don't know. Um, then uh, at 1 p.m. that day, we had a tasting, and uh, th this is all on Zoom, uh, uh, of Tuscan wines. So, you know, there was, we, we all, the fun thing is the winemaker was kind of like, answering every question very slowly with stories and time was a ticking and like we were just like wanting to get to those Brunellos so the whole time the tasting was going on my my psalm leadership group we have a telegram guys because you know we're next level and we're all like making up we're, we're all we're terrible we're like the kids in the back of the class making jokes but then like we're also all being like did you compare the 13 
the Brunello, oh, was, but the texture's like this. And meanwhile, there's the chat also going on the Zoom. So it's just like this crazy experience. Like, um, and meanwhile, you're also tasting wine, uh, spitting. I'm always spitting during the day, guys. Trust me. Um, you gotta. Uh, so that, that was Monday alone. I think Tuesday I actually had, I don't think I had a tasting Tuesday. Um, which is good because I had, you know, work to do because I had, well, I'll tell you what I had coming up in a second. And then Wednesday, we had a sake class, which was fascinating. I am still, like, I, I go back and forth with sake. This was a uh, hakasan, I hakaisan. Um, it was cool. It's really cool to learn how things that you're not as familiar with are made. Uh, we had some sparkling sake. We had a snow age spa, uh, sake. Uh, we had some uh sake han hanjozo which means like there's booze added it was it was cool tasting thursday and this is what i was like stressing out about was uh for for the psalm community and just really anyone who i've invited you guys to it i invited you to my my happy hour and i was like really nervous because i don't know it was gonna be like around i was guessing i think it ended up being like you know 16 17 people we had like 20 something people signed up I was like, how am I going to host this? Um, I wanted to do a theme. Other people didn't. I ended up sending an email the night before saying, because I pulled you guys about your guilty pleasure, I was like, hey, guys, bring your guilty pleasure drink if you, if you feel it. And I was like, am I going to be too much the teacher? Is this going to be boring? Is it going to be chaos? Y'all, it was awesome. It went really, really well. I mean, I, I did know a good amount of the people, but like, felt like things were going. I was being teacher some of the time. Um, it was supposed to be, I was like, oh, six to seven. That's going to be enough for all of us. At the very end, it was like nearly, by the time the last several of us got off the Zoom, because we just kept Zooming, um, it was like 10 o'clock at night. So that was that was Thursday, and it felt good because, you know, I planned, I came up with all sorts of, you know, questions, and I, 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 tried, to, I tried to host a good happy hour that I feel like so lame making that sound like I did a good deed, but it kind of felt like it. Um <laughs> Uh, then Friday, we, I had the interview that you're going to hear later, which I was really nervous about because Michael Brown of Costa Brown and now um, Cirque is a very big winemaker, uh, but he's amazing. Um, and then I also had a class on sparkling wines of New York. Um, and also I was, I'm doing this bruisey product, uh, go on bruise getbruisey.com and order your home wine brewing kit. I can tell you guys, um... I finally got to rack mine yesterday. Supposedly it's all done. I'm going to rack it again tomorrow. Hopefully by then it's clear enough. They say it continues to like improve over the first week. So I'm kind of reserving judgments because like yesterday I sampled some, but it was super cloudy because it still had a lot of, a lot of leaves in it. Um, so I don't know. There's just been so much going on this week. Oh, I'm exhausted. Uh, let's, um, let's have an agenda. Why not? It's, oh, whew, it's, I'm just taking up your sweet time today. Um, okay, so our agenda is we're going to have poll results for because last week I asked you about your guilty pleasure. Then we're going to learn about and sample the super, I'm so, like, normally I'm not so excited by celebrity wines, but I am by this one. I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Um, and then we are going to have a boozy book, which will sort of be the prelude to the final five with Michael Brown, because, um, he wrote the book, the boozy book, Pinot Rocks, that I'm going to talk to you about. Cool? Very cool. Let's talk about the poll. Now, I gotta, 
I got a handful of answers on the Instagram, which I'll run through. But I also want to tell you, as I said, for this happy hour, I kind of put it out there like, hey, bring bring your own guilty pleasure. And unlike last week where I waxed poetic about all the different things that a guilty pleasure could be, I didn't really, I, I just told them, try and, try and bring your guilty pleasure. I didn't give them any. I, so I was really curious to see how people quantified a guilty pleasure. For me, I made my favorite Cosmo, which I guess, I, I, I mean, I don't really feel guilty about it, but it's sort of the drink that, I've, it's the drink I feel like I have to explain why I think it's so great. Um, and also I add a little Campari to mine. So I made a very delicious Cosmo. Um, one person showed up with some Viognier, which I don't know. I think he didn't really feel guilty about. It was from a winery he'd been like interning at. My friend Jackie, she brought like, she's like, this is my favorite, you know, Korean beer that's cost, you know, $4 for a six pack or something. Let's see, my friend Eric, who had also attended the sake tasting, he's like, well, I'm just finishing the sparkling sake because my guilty pleasure is I just want to open up the stuff that was free to me. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh my God, uh, Teresa and Lynn, they were together and they're like, our guilty pleasure is we have a bottle of Comte de Champagne and caviar. <laughs> and we were all like, how's... Uh, well, and I think that's the point. I explained to everybody how you can have many a different... They, they felt guilty that they were just breaking out the good stuff on a Thursday night. Uh, another person had some tequila. Let's see. Uh, one of them had pinotage, which people like to make fun of. My friend Rebecca, at first she's like, so I have this lovely... Rebecca Rose, I should say. There were two Rebeccas there. Rebecca Rose, which makes... She was drinking a rosé. And she's like telling us about this beautiful rosé, looking all fancy... And we're all like, how is this a guilty pleasure? And then all of a sudden she pulls out a can of LaCroix and pours it in on top of it. We're like, okay, we see you. Let's see. Oh, and then um, David Spector, who you heard me talking about last week, who designed the the bacteria in, in for the bruisey kit, he had an... And I had to go back to the photo. He sent us all of it. Artisanal Brew Works Warheads Extreme Sour Green Apple. Basically, it was a sour, a sour beer. (laughs) Yeah, um, it was a wicked color of green. I don't think he actually liked it that much. I think he ended up, like, moving to something else. Oh, and then the other Rebecca, Bex, one of my oldest friends. You, my birthday episode a couple years ago, you heard her come in and sing happy birthday to me. She has a beautiful voice. She was drinking kombucha, which, you know, not alcohol exactly. Well, there's a little bit, but we were like, okay, we give you credit because, you know, it's fermented. So that was, that was the, I was really excited because I was like, wow, you guys really showed up with a great variety of guilty pleasures. I'm I'm missing a few because I didn't take notes, but those were some of the highlights. Should we read the guilty pleasures people told me about on Instagram? Let's do it. So Matt Hirschfeld, hi Matt. He said, when he just moved to Chicago, um, he said mochas, dot, dot, dot. In Los Angeles, it was from at Good People Coffee Co. Uh, verdict isn't in yet in Chicago. So I guess he, he doesn't have a standby place to get mochas yet. Come on, Chicago. If you have an idea for, for Matt where he should get a mocha, let me know. <laughs> Queer comedian, oh, former guest, well, both these people are former guests of the show, actually, said in all caps, Starbucks, sideways, laughy, cry face, laughy, cry face, laughy, cry face. S. Chardonnay said anything with tequila with one of those uh, sort of one, one of those faces that's, you know, looks a little like either hungover or drunk, but not the green one, but like a little sick and like, oof. 
I hear you. Um, Robert Colcon said, ice cold Coors Banquet in the stubby bottle. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, do I say uh too much? Do I need to work on that? Probably. Acause333. Hi, Anthony. He said, an aviation cocktail with a little Empress Gin, Bombay, Bombay Sapphire, Luxardo Cherry Liqueur, fresh lemons, great quality creme de violette, and a Luxardo Cherry. And at this point, I'm like, come on, dude, this is not guilty pleasure drinks. And then he says, in an iced martini glass in ginormic proportions. So maybe it's the proportions that are guilt. I don't know. I was like, this sounds like a really good drink, though. Uh... Bexter319, a.k.a. the Rebecca who's drinking kombucha, said Zevia Black Cherry. Guys, I've tried these Zevia drinks. They're the ones made with Stevia. I can't... I, I do like Stevia for some things, but I have not been able to get with Zevia. Diet Coke all day, baby. Okay, um... Pairs with Life. Hi! He was on the show just a few episodes ago. Said Coors Light, ice cold with wings and football. Because I'm white trash like that. Well, okay. Um, I'm very worried about this episode. I finished the... I'm so sorry to interrupt, guys. I realized I thought I was recording a bunch of stuff, and apparently I wasn't somehow. And I all the way... Like, I went all the way through tasting the wine with you, and now I'm like, fuck, I gotta finish doing the... Uh, what people's guilty pleasure is, and then reintroduce the wine. I really hope the quality of this podcast doesn't suffer terribly. Or maybe it'll be better because I'll know what nonsense to cut out. I don't know. Anyway, I had like two or three more uh, tasting things to to read uh, read to you from... Ugh, I'm so discombobulated. Um, a few more guilty pleasures to read for you. Smarts underscore LA said, four ounces Tapatio tequila, native yeast ferment, two ounces Contra, one ounce about one lime... And uh, 5.5 ounces simple syrup, fresh ice in the glass, shaken for 17 to 20, John, both random and also precise, 17, hmm, in shaker tins with ice and poured over a salted rim glass with fresh ice with tacos as a garnish. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds great. Um, Emily Hilgas said, Wild Turkey 101 bought with Southwest Airline drink tickets in the before times. That's with like a capital B and a capital T. Okay, well, gosh, this is hard because I totally, I just like introduced this wine and tasted it for the first time and I would like like to share all that with you. I cheers you everything. We gotta do it again. What do we have in the bottle? We have Sun Goddess Pinot Grigio Romato from Friuli DOC. You know who is behind this wine? It's Mary J. Blige who, uh, since I knew of her in the 90s as an incredible recording artist, then I had the pleasure a couple of years ago of going to a screening of Mudbound and seeing her as an actor, and she was there for the Q&A after, and I was like, I love you even more. And then she got super into wine. So, that's cool. Uh, what can I... I'm going to read you some of the notes I found on the, the website about this. Hold on. So, the inspiration, and this is quotes from Mary J. Blige, uh, she says, I have always been particularly fond of white wines that demonstrate freshness, minerality, and purity. Pinot Grigio is undoubtedly among my favorite varieties. One day, I asked my friend Lorenzo Randisi what is the best Pinot Grigio in the world, and he quickly responded, the best Pinot Grigio came from Friuli Venezia Giulia. In deepening my knowledge of this little Italian region, I was introduced to Marco Fantinel. 
owner of one of the leading wineries of the area. Pictures alone helped me fall in love with the Fantanelle estate, so I decided to go visit it personally. After walking through the vineyards and tasting with the Fantanelle family, I felt extremely connected to the place, and more importantly, the people. The experience inspired me to create my own wines in partnership with Marco Fantanelle. The name, she says. The name is very personal for me, as it's a name I was given as a child by my mother. The name Sun Goddess evokes powerful childhood memories that I carry with me today. I've always loved the sun, and as a child, I always tried to capture the sun's warmth and energy. It was magical to me, and it's with that spirit that my mom began calling me Sun Goddess. Sun Goddess immediately struck me as the perfect name, as it connects my real life, conveys the connection between nature, and the personality of wines I enjoy the most combined with my style and that of Fantanelle. Now, you guys, Romato, that is a traditional, um, that's like, that's a specialty style that kind of looks like a rosé, but not quite. But like the thing about Pinot Grigio is even the ones that are not left on their skins will often, if you look at them, have like a slight copper tone to them. And this wine is indeed, it like has a deeper copper, <laughs> like it's pinkish, but it's also a little like what you call onion skin. I, it's not recorded, but I promise I cheers you already, but I'm going to cheers you again and we can walk the tasting notes and then I can read their tasting notes. Sneak preview. We all agreed on some things, me and the people that wrote the web, the description of this on the website and the critics, and none of us could agree on fruit. So anyway, cheers. Mmm. Yeah, if you're uh, listening to this at this point, then no, I'm not worried that because I read their, like I gave my own honest descriptions and now I'm worried that like reading other people's are going to leak into mine. So I'm trying to remember what I said and see if it's, most of it's the same. So as I said, it's like a coppery, salmony, onion skin kind of color. Nose is fairly robust. It's, little, it's very mineral, very saline. Um, you get a lot of orange flower water, like this light Flower, flowery notes. Um, I get like sweet citrus on this. Not actually sweet, but like that kind of fullness, if you know what I mean. And by the way, we're playing what's in the glass game, but it's not a game. On the palate. Dry, medium plus acid. You're hearing me refill this because now I'm like, I did a whole tasting and now I need more to continue tasting it. Um, <laughs> um, the you do get a little bit of that phenolic bitterness that comes from the skin contact that's like the tannins that like kind of you can feel your the roof of your mouth getting just like a little bit sucked dry the alcohol i previously guessed that it was 13 and i checked the bottle and it said 12 5. Mm, this or that and then i'm like eh, it could be off i always say that when i'm of course when i nail it i'm like i'm exactly right um <laughs> oh i oh look at the tears I'm just now noticing the tears on this. They're kind of thick for a rosé-ish white, a Romato wine. Um, the body is silky and it's like, it's full for a white, but not heavy. Like it's, like you can easily just chug this stuff, but at the same time, there's a heft to it. Like this is a, a full wine, but it's light on its toes. I probably use that expression way too much. I get the same flavors as the nose on the palate with even more like mineral and saline. I get all that citrus fruit. I get a little like white peach, as I was saying, the flowers, etc. Um, 
You guys, this wine is freaking delicious. I really admire Mary J. Blige for just like being like, I like this wine. Where can I find the best? Let me hire the best person to make it. And let's put this in a beautiful bottle named after my nickname. Can you imagine growing up with the nickname Sun Goddess? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know her actual childhood background. Maybe it was hell. Maybe she's like, I have so much to live up to. <laughs> they expect me to be a goddess. Or maybe it just inflated herself, like properly inflated her self-esteem because she is one talented woman. Okay. And before I read the tasting notes from this site and then a bunch of critics, I want to read you the site's uh, tasting notes again and then just tell you that every single critic... Um, everybody, including me, has named, like, different fruits that this tastes like. Other things remain the same. Okay, the tasting notes on the website say, Beautiful pinkish tinge. The bouquet is intense and complex, with hints of fruits, peach, melon, and blackberries, and undergrowth scents. On the palate, it is full-bodied and velvety, with a pleasant acidity, sweet tannins, and a finish rich in mineral sensations. With origins in Italy's northeastern province of Friuli Venezia Giulia, Romato, Italian for auburn or copper, wines are produced by macerating Pinot Grigio grape must with its skins. The skin's pink hue gives the wines color from a semi give the wines a color from semi pale pink to dark orange, depending on maceration time. Um, so yeah, they name all those fruits. I they name like the peach and the melon and blackberries. I was like citrus, and then like some other critics were like dried cherries. Someone else was like lemon rind and strawberry. Nobody can agree on the fruit. What we all agree is it's a really good wine. Uh, James Seckling and Wilfred Wong of Wine.com both gave it a ninety. I. I'm always like sort of skeptical of celebrity celebrities behind wine. Like, ah, how much how much did they try? I mean, I like that she visited the vineyard. I like that she was like, this is the wine I like. So how can I make the best? Also, I just freaking love Mary J. Blige. Ah. So okay, that's that wine. I recommend seeking it out. I recommend Romatos in general. I know people like. Pinot Grigio doesn't have, like, the luster behind it that some wines do, but uh, there's some really good Pinot Grigios out there, I'm just saying. Okay. Ah, moving on to your boozy book. It is Pinot Rocks, A Winding Journey Through Intense, in italics, underlined, elegance. It was the intense that was underlined, uh... And, uh, yeah, so anyway, this is a book by Michael Brown, who, like, so there's this winery called Costa Brown, Costa Brown, K-O-S-T-A-B-R-O-W-N-E, and they are one of those very elite wineries to become a member of. Now, Michael has moved on from that. I think he just sold it last year. You'll, you'll hear in the interview. But he, he had, a, like, a really interesting life, and he's just, like, a really fascinating guy, so I was excited when... I found out he had written a book called Pinot Rocks, as I just said. Uh, so I'm going to walk you through some of the highlights, and I'm going to try not to, like, say too, too much, because he, I interviewed him on Friday, and he just, he's like one of those people who's, you can tell they're just like, they're a storyteller, and they're wise, and they mean what they say, and they say what they mean, I think. I hope I'm not misjudging you, Michael, because you were super cool. So he really does give you, like, his life story in this. Like, he grows up mostly with his dad. He he says they were into hunting, fishing, camping. There's a lot of stories of him playing with gunpowder and explosives. Uh, 
uh, and just sort of like sowing his sowing his youthful oats of being a, a little bit of a rebel. I, I wrote down the quote he said. He was talking about how like he would try and fit in school and like play sports, and he would just like quit them. He said, "I also didn't want to be like everyone else," which I say possibly explains how he inadvertently started crafting roach clips. I'm not kidding. He was. <laughs> He called them hat clips. They were he was selling them to people to use, and he I guess he found out later they're using them to hold joints. Um, from the age of twelve to eighteen, he was in a youth circus. Like what? Like doing fire breathing unicycle tightrope like crazy shit. Uh, he worked in restaurant industry as a youth. The very first mention that I noticed uh, in the book in his life story of booze at all was when he was working as a busboy. I love that he was a great busboy because I loved busing personally. It's just like you're not actually responsible for stuff, but you are, but you aren't. People don't blame you when... Well, they probably would blame you if you didn't keep your water full, but if you're a good busboy, you don't get blamed if the food is bad. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the waiters sometimes do. So the first mention of booze is when the restaurant he was busing at decided they went to upgrade him to a captain which means that he had to make flambés tableside. So he's like 16 years old and he's pouring cognac or brandy, I guess, on, on stuff and setting, setting them on, uh, on fire, which I just find funny. Uh, let's see. I'm trying not to give away too much because I really enjoyed this book. He has this writing style that it's mostly like sort of short paragraphs and he writes fairly like, it's it's matter of fact, it's straightforward. I don't want to call it simple per se, but it's like he's not trying to make it anything but him just telling the story. Uh, and then like sometimes he goes into these metaphors and you're like, oh my god, that was so wise. But like it's it's it was I tore through this book in less than a week. <laughs> um, so let's see. He went to college in Santa Rosa, where he was working at an old school restaurant, and then he's like, maybe I want to be a chef. And finally, around the age of 20, he, he gets into wine. Uh, he has this whole beautiful description of being in, like, tasting rooms and realizing that, like, in the barrels, the wine was alive. Which, wine is alive, guys. I mean, <laughs> David Spector would tell you it's full of, like, active uh, bacteria and whatnot. So, um, then there's also, like, I, I immediately was, like, endeared with finding out how he got into wine because he talks about having a whole conversation with Joel Peterson of Ravenswood, which, if you don't know me, maybe you don't know that I, I, have, a deep, I have a deep sense in my heart of love for Ravenswood for many reasons, including that it made my best friend love wine, and then also it's, like, so gothy, but then also Joel Peterson is really cool. Uh, let me let me read you a quick paragraph that he had about that. <clears throat> Once I went to a Ravenswood winemaker dinner and I sat next to Joel Peterson, a co-founder of Ravenswood. This was in 94. I kept asking him questions and he started telling me about toasting and sourcing of barrels and all these things I didn't know at all. I had never talked to anyone about barrels. It was an hour and a half long conversation and we could have talked for five hours. He's talking toasting and sourcing and I said, I had no idea. He said, oh yeah, man, there's a lot going on. And that just, I can picture Joel saying that, like, man, there's a lot going on. Oy. So, <laughs> I don't know why I just oid. I'm not Jewish. Am I allowed to say oi? I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm not. But, oi, my friend Eliza got me started saying that in fourth grade. 
and here I am, a year old woman, and I still say it. Oy. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. I'm taking another sip of this wine because Sun Goddess is delicious. Okay, so what else did I make notes of that I wanted to, to mention to you? So he got like really drawn to, to, to wine being in the restaurant industry. They started like going to tasting rooms. He then like falls in love with Pinot Noir. Right, like when before Pinot Noir was like, as people thought it was like more, it just, it wasn't what it is now. But he, he tasted like a mind blowing one. And then he eventually decided he wanted to make his own wine. He found, um, he found a business partner and they started Costa Brown eventually. There was a lot of trial and error. Like he talks about all these jobs he had at wineries and like there's some pretty comedic, like someone should make a movie of his life from this book because there are some very funny uh, scenes, I should say, of him running into trouble trying to do things like wash barrels. Um, the other thing with this book is there's just like, there's a lot of great business advice uh, it's weird because he kind of goes into detail without being too detailed about winemaking details like harvest and fermenting and corks and labels. When you talk to him on the phone, when you read this book, he has, he uses the phrase dialed in a bunch, which he is dialed in. Like he pays attention to things, but also like the sort of take home message. Well, also the cool thing about him is he they definitely just kept it an exclusive brand like they were like we're not going to sell out they keep like it's a waiting list to get his wine he never lost his attention to detail he never sold out he believes in like really giving people a real experience if they want to taste the wine and then you know if he can tell they're like super into it and <laughs> side note there's this whole sort of like part where he sort of sorts out the different types of customers that come to tastings he's like there's the people that want to party and then they're the wine snobs and they're the trophy hunters and they're, they're the people that are really curious and um it was just fun to hear him talk about that the big thing to me is just like i was like this guy is a polymath and he is an artist he i mean when he was a teenager he got super into woodworking he made those <laughs> he made those roach clips he did circus arts then he made wine he liked to draw he drew the grapes on the costa brown label and yeah he's just like a super cool dude i just i don't i'm trying to figure out how much to say and how little to say because i had so much fun talking to him on the phone like he's just one of those people i was like please tell me a story and he, i mean he has he has a lot of stories to tell so that worked out um all of this to say is I am shortly going to turn off the recording of me so that I can give you the conversation that I had with Michael Brown because I'm just rambling at this point. And I'm I'm so sorry. I'm disconcerted because I recorded so much of the podcast and then I just had to like redo it all. And I like being able to give you like a first first time experience of things. And I was giving you second time of tasting the wine. Oh, how dare I? Um, anyway, he is the winemaker behind the famed Costa Brown. He now makes Cirque, C-I-R-Q. He is like the wizard of Pinot Noir. <laughs> he seems like an all-around good guy, and you'll hear him talk about all that and much more and what he's up to now in The Final Five. So please enjoy The Final Five with Michael Brown. Hey, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, without further ado, do you want to dive into the questions I got for you? 
however you want to do it. All right. Okay. Well, question number one is, you know, very hard-hitting journalism. It's just uh, what you're drinking these days. What are you into? Uh, Diet Coke, <laughs> uh, green tea, iced, and occasionally a Sauvignon Blanc or a Pinot. Okay. Uh, is yeah. there a need for extra caffeine these days with the holidays? I, I you know, I'm not really a caffeine guy, but I do green tea. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. Um, question number two, uh, given your, your circus history, what wine would you pair with going to the circus? Oh, maybe some Mad Dog 2020. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. I don't know. It's a, it's more of a family affair than anything else. So I'm not sure. I think, uh, maybe something trick like a German Riesling or something, you know, something with some flair and pizzazz, right? Some... Nice sparkly acidity and uh, a few flares going off in the wine. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe like a uh, a Sancerre or something like that. Sounds good to me. Uh, I'm like, hmm. I was just thinking. I was like, hmm. Peanuts, popcorn. I feel like a Riesling and a Sancerre would work very well with those. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Question number three. Uh, given I had such fun reading about your. Um, your experiments with, you know, measuring grams of, of gunpowder and exploding things as, as a youth. Uh, have you ever considered going into making sparkling wine? I've thought about it for many, many years. And um, my lead guy wants to make some. It's just a whole different game. You know, it's a, you got to riddle it. You got to do all kinds of things with it. Uh, the base wine's pretty simple because you pick it pretty early. And it typically goes dry pretty quickly, but then you have to, uh, you know, put it in bottles and then uh, riddle it to make sure that the solids all come to the neck. And you got to have a certain mechanism, and it's out there. So um, someday I would love to, because I love bubbles. You know, who doesn't? Yeah. Uh, but we've got enough on our plate right now. But we we're always kind of <laughs> talking about things like that. Um, like uh, back in, I think it was twelve, we made a late harvest Chardonnay that we called Snake Oil. And it was a one-off, you know, the grapes just started rotting. And I said, well, let's let them sit out there and rot. And it just presented itself, right? And it yeah. turned out really good. Um, so, you know, someday sparkling might it might make sense, you know, some year. But um, we don't have definite plans of doing it. But we all love the bubbles. And um, it's a whole different thing as far as producing yeah. something like that. Oh, oh Hello? Yeah, you still there? Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I heard uh, some, some beeping. I wasn't sure if it was my phone or your phone. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> no worries. Um, Put me my cheek on my phone. Ah. Uh, um, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I was like just reading when you were talking about uh, all these different experimental explosions, and then I was thinking about when people were first making champagne <laughs> and how bottles would just like go off in the cellars and people had to go in there in masks. And so I was like, I feel like this would be up Michael's aisle. Um, cool. Yeah, before, uh, before I started making wine, I would make homebrew, you know, beer. Yeah. And I had like, I don't know, 18 bottles under my bed. Uh-oh. And... <laughs> Yeah, and I there was too much CO2, and one evening, I'm laying in bed, and they all start blowing up underneath my oh. bed with <laughs> sticky ale. Oh, my oh, God. No. 
So you got to be careful with the uh, under pressure wines and beers and things, you know. Yeah. Do you ever still? That was a, that was a bad evening. Bad evening. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wrong kind of waterbed there. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So question number four is in, in your book you talk about how when you first were really getting into the winemaking and you just were enchanted with Pinot Noir and how you found that at that time like you, I think you, the quote was you said Pinot people are exploratory. Um, I was wondering if these days now that. Pinot is a little bit more like in, in, in the mainstream, if there's a region or a type of wine or a grape that you see as sort of being the the thing that you see exploratory people gravitating towards. Hmm, interesting Sorry, this question. is kind of a difficult question. <laughs> no, I like a question like this. So first of all, yeah, Pinot Noir, um, you know, people used to tell me it's the heartbreak grape and it's very difficult to make and all these different things. And what I've kind of come to understand it's not really that difficult to make. It's just a different process than, say, Cabernet or something like that. You have to be very delicate with it. you got to kind of leave it alone and, and let her be who she's going to be. But farming Pinot is very, very difficult, very difficult. And so that's where I think um, the talent comes in with our growers and vineyard managers and things like that um, because it's very fickle. She's very fickle out in the vineyard. And then we'll we'll bring the grapes in and – Again, we have different methods. We'll do concrete fermentation. We'll do um, a little bit of stainless steel. We'll do wood tank fermentation. And then we have a variety of, of barrels that we use as well. We'll do some whole cluster here and there. And um, it's just uh, – and what I say um, a lot of times is that uh, once we pick the grapes, the song has been written. Because I'm a music uh-huh. guy, and I like analogies. You know, the yeah. song has been <laughs> written. But then in the winery – um, then we can add instruments to that song, but you got to be kind of careful. You got to, you know, too much bass tones, too much, too much high tone, mid tone. But I'm really a texture guy, and no, and so um, with Pinot Noir, you can get some really fantastic velvety textures, and I really uh-huh. like that. And so, uh, based on your question, you know, um, what else is out there that's kind of like that? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, or just if there's something that you see as, uh, or that you've noticed that the people who have a, a curiosity to explore, if there's any kind of up and coming uh, type of wine or, or grape that you see as being being similar. Yeah, that's uh, again interesting question. So I think people go for the uh, the uh, I don't want to say norm, but you know Cabernet, Zinfandel, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir. And yeah. then you get get into like the Grenaches of the world, the Rieslings of the world. But uh, how I look at it is, um, it's a huge candy store all over the world, and you can dive into any of these countries around the world and find some really spectacular stuff that you wouldn't think was out there, right? And yeah. it's like, wow, that was interesting, or wow, that totally blew. You know, <laughs> it just <laughs> depends. Um, but there's <laughs> such good things going on all over the world, and rather than you know. We're here in California, obviously, and there's some cool Spanish varietals around here and there, and there's some different things happening, and, and I think it's all wonderful. Um, but then you start exploring the world. Now it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. You go to a cool wine shop, wherever you may be, and you go, yeah, I'm looking for something kind of eclectic, for example. Something maybe from Eastern Europe or somewhere or South America or South Africa or New Zealand or wherever you might go. 
And then you can kind of bring yourself to that place because they were made in that place, grown in that place. And they're all different. They're all different. Yeah. And then over time, um, if you really want to explore, you can find some really cool things that you like. And you just kind of keep hitting that. And then that'll lead you to something else eventually. Right. And not that it needs to be too complicated. It's a beverage for God's sakes. Right. (laughs) Um, It's just, it can be very powerful and magical at the same point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's just my opinion. One of my favorite things about wine is that like the more you learn about it, the more you're like, Ooh, and here's a new rabbit hole to dive down for a day or so, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I love about it. Um, well, this brings us to question number five, which is it doesn't have to be wine related at all if you don't want it to be. We've been asking guests. I still use the royal we. I don't know why. I don't have a co-host anymore. Uh, it used to be we. Now it's me asking. Um, we've been asking people since the beginning of the show, which is just what is bringing you joy these days? Uh, well, what pops into my mind is my family. I have a lovely wife three beautiful children, uh, two dogs, which I oh, love wow. to death. They're <laughs> kind of a pain sometimes. <laughs> what sort of dogs? They have thunderous roars. Uh, we've oh. got a 100-pound German Shepherd and a 30-pound oh, Corgi. My. Oh, wow. And they, that's, uh, that's... they when they bark, the whole house kind of shakes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love them, and they're, they're sweethearts. They're very dedicated. But that's, for me, it's family, you know, and my dad and that's what brings me joy. And then also another thing is um, being able to be creative in my profession, mm-hmm. um, wh- whether it's with farming or making wine or packaging or anything like that. Um, that is something I really, really enjoy because it's not kind of a normal thing to do, um, yeah. but I'm free to do it how I want to do it now, you know, because my wife and I own oh, this good. thing. i got a couple of partners here and there. But we have controlling interest in our new winery, which the one? we're remodeling right now. It's really cool. Um, nice. Taking a long time, <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay. We're in no hurry. We're in no hurry. Um, but it's really fun to uh, to live in that creative world and then to be around other people that are creative, whether they're musicians or chefs or artists or you name it, right? Yeah. Um, craftsmen of, of different sorts. And I just love that whole pool of people because they're doing it not to make a million bucks. They're doing it because they love to do it, right? Yeah. And that brings me a lot of joy, too, to be around these people and have conversations about it. And um, one of my really good buddies, John Burdick, he's a blues guitarist. He also has a uh, wine tour company. And I bought a guitar. I got a bunch of guitars, and I really suck at playing. Ah. But he goes, <laughs> oh, you got to tune it to open G and get a slide. And he comes out here one day with a couple of guests, and he just tears that thing up. And I go, I'm going to learn how to do that, maybe. Oh, nice. <laughs> but it's so cool to be around people that really understand their craft, you know. And yeah. I find I get great enjoyment from that. And uh, to see a piece of artwork, there was a uh, – I don't know how much time we have, but I tend to tell Oh, as stories. much as you want. So <laughs> no, this is good. We um, – Jeremiah and I went up because – this year we got smoked out with um, all the fires, right? Yeah. And we were down like 85% in fruit. But there was this one guy, his name's Brad Alpert. He has a vineyard up by Treehouse, way up in the hills, you know. And he had Chardonnay up there. And Chardonnay didn't really get, get that effective. So he went up there, 
And he goes, yeah, check out my tasting room. It's like a thousand square foot little thing. And I walk in and there's all these bronze sculptures. And I'm like, oh, wow. And they're totally detailed. Uh-huh. And I love that kind of stuff. And there's this old dude. It's like, a, I don't know, 18-inch tall sculpture. This really old guy bending over on a head pruned vine with these shears. And I go, I got to have it. And that uh-huh. apparently that guy used to own that property. So there's a story behind it. And, uh-huh. man, it makes me feel good every time I look at that. And there's all these different kinds of creative things that you can really enjoy. It could be a Broadway show. It could be a concert. It could be dinner. It could be whatever. Um, but I, I like that, you know? Yeah, I like that yeah. creative thing. It is it is a treat to have. And I, I know, well, I'm down in Los Angeles, so I'm, and I also, you know, in the writing and the, it's just always a treat to be surrounded by everyone who's making things they want to make because <laughs> they want to make it, you know, it's it's a treat. So that's, it's that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And another thing I tell people, or I talk to people about, I don't tell them um, just how I kind of view part of the world is, you know, it's really nice to sit down by a fireplace, you know, hopefully mm. wood burning, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> and maybe you have a little, little food, maybe a bottle of wine, maybe some cool music, but all those things, and it could be one of them or it could be all four or five or whatever. Um, it leads to good conversation. And that's another thing I really, really appreciate and enjoy. And you learn so much from other people and and these different conversations. And that's another thing that I just really, really appreciate and enjoy. So, Will your wine is kind of a conduit. Oh, sorry. (laughs) It does, yeah, it does. Ah. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. So you're saying wine is a conduit. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Oh, well, wine slows people down, you know? Yeah. And you might have a very busy day, and you have a couple glasses of vino, and and uh, it kind of just slows you down, and you can kind of relax. Um, I wouldn't suggest, you know, a bottle or two, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe a couple glasses, you know? Um, it's And it just kind of slows people down. And then you can sit down and kind of relax and, and just chew the fat, so to speak, right? Yeah. You know what that means, yeah. right? Yeah, just yeah. Uh, get get into the conversation. I think am I interpreting exactly. that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so. mean, if, uh, you're making me wish I was back. Normally, this time of year, I'd be back in the Midwest with my family, sitting at the fireplace, and I'm like, not happening this year. But I can't wait for it. You're you're making me nostalgic for when when those things happen again. Um, oh, it'll but, happen. Just matters yeah. of plan, you know. Yeah, I guess I can find, you know, a Zoom background with the fireplace. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Well, well, I've but I, 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 I'll, I'll say this. What we do, I, I have seven full-time employees. We're a very small company. But they are all so dedicated to each aspect that they do. And we're really hyper-focused on quality of product, quality of marketing, quality of customer service, quality of shipping. And it's kind of tough to put all that stuff together, but that's our mission. All those different yeah. things. So when a consumer gets our wine, oh wow, that's kind of cool, you know. And yeah. these book boxes, you got the whole box, is that right? What's that? Or just the book? I just you got, got the book, book, right? Yeah, yeah, I got the book. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but we're doing a <laughs> bunch of these different little things, and it's um, it's taking a lot of time, but everybody's just on board, getting it done, and it's really nice to watch that, you know. One of my business partners, he um, used to own a big, huge sandwich company. 
And I said, how do you do this? You got like 2000 restaurants. And he goes, well, it's all systems and quality of product. Keep it simple. And then you pour rocket fuel on it. And I go, <laughs> well, what's the rocket fuel? He goes, it's the people, man. It's the people. Oh. And I took that to heart. And you get the right people um, around you, and you're, you become part of that team, and they become part of your team. Well, then you can actually make something happen, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's good not to go back too up. far <laughs> down a left lane here, but it's kind of neat no. to watch, you know? Yeah. Uh, this has been really uh, wonderful. Thank you for being so open and sharing and, and thoughtful uh, with your answers to the questions. Um, those, I only have the five questions, but, you know, if there's anything else before we, we go on about our days that you want to, you know, if you, uh, if you want to do any of the follow me on social media stuff or if you want to tell people where to find your wine or if you just have anything else you want to say, um, wanted to give you the opportunity. Yeah, actually, I'm not a big that. plug. I'm not a big plug person, but I'll plug a couple things. So, mm-hmm. um, I've got two brands now. I'm, I'm no longer with Costa Brown as of last year. Oh, okay. And, um, and Duckhorn bought that company, and they're a, a fabulous group. They're doing really good things with that with that brand. Uh, but now we have uh, Cirque, which is Cirque.com. Um, I've, I've started that about 10 years ago, and Chev just came out. I started thinking about that seven years ago, and we just had our first release, and that's ChevWines.com, uh, C-H-E-V, Wines.com. And it's all about uh-huh. makers. And the guy, if you go uh-huh. to the front page, that's my dad. He's a really cool uh-huh. craftsman. And then we'll add more craftsmen as we move along. And then uh, Brown Family Wines, Brown with an E, Family Wines, kind of ties them together. And then the book, Pinot Rocks, it's on Amazon. And the, uh, like I said, the uh, it's hardback, paperback, Kindle. But the audio book is brilliant. <laughs> this guy nailed it. Captain Kirk. Yeah, yeah, I went to check that it was out. Funny. Now. It was it was funny. I was sitting there with my wife, and like I said, we have three kids and two dogs, and she's running around. I said, honey, you got to listen to this chapter. And we it was a 30-minute chapter, and and we sit down on the couch, and five minutes in, because she was still distracted, she looks at me going, how the heck is he doing that? And I go, well, <laughs> honey, he used to pilot the Starship Enterprise, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The guy knows how to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was pretty funny, but he did a, he did a really good job. So, anyway, that's about all I got. You know, no, no if people want great. to, um, we we have a we have a waiting list for our wines. But if people want to sign up, they can sign up on any of those three websites I gave you, and they can always reach out to us. We always have somebody on the line, and um, it's just a matter of having enough uh, wine to sell. You know, yeah, and it kind of comes and goes because we don't make a lot of wine, so. Um, but we want to get wine to people. It's just a matter of having the inventory and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to put myself on that list. <laughs> um, this was a really an absolute pleasure. Uh, I hope you have a really wonderful. This, this should be coming out like a, a day or so before Christmas. I hope you have a really wonderful holiday season and enjoy that family time and enjoy that wine. And um, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Oh, same as well, and and best holiday wishes to you as well and your family. And um, just think about that fireplace back in the Midwest or wherever you're from, (laughs) right? (laughs) And uh, I I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Glass. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with IPA. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with Minute Maid. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with Coffee Maid. I just drink wine. Give me red, white, or say, Don't test me, motherfucker. I'm a sommelier. And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.